Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times. Hi, this is Karen Chenoweth from the Education Trust. In this podcast series, we are talking with educators we know are thoughtful and effective to hear how they are coping with the unprecedented closure of their school buildings and how they are planning for the future. Today, June 1st, I am really happy to say we are talking with Mary Haynes Smith, principal of Mary McLeod Bethune Elementary School in New Orleans. Let me tell you a little bit about Ms. Smith and Bethune. When Hurricane Katrina devastated New Orleans in 2005, Mary Haynes Smith was principal of a school that was completely destroyed. Her home was destroyed as well. Shortly thereafter, the school district cleared the mud and debris out of Mary McLeod Bethune Elementary and asked Ms. Smith to take charge. A longtime educator, she combed the city for teachers to hire and welcomed all students who could show up, no matter where they lived or what their circumstances were. Over the next few years, as New Orleans opened more schools, Bethune settled back to serving its Holly Grove neighborhood. Just about all its students are African-American from low-income backgrounds. By 2010, under Ms. Smith's leadership, higher percentages of its students were meeting state reading and math standards than the state as a whole. Here's an example. All its sixth grade students met basic reading standards and half read at a mastery level, compared to 39% in the state. That's when I visited. Bethune is an example of a school we identified solely on the basis of the data. And what started for me as a bunch of numbers on a page burst into life as a vibrant place of learning and energy, one held together in part by the strength and determination of the leadership, not only of Ms. Smith, but by the team she always had surrounding her. I fell in love with Bethune and I visited as often as I could manage, which hasn't been nearly often enough. That building that was salvaged after Katrina was a beautiful old school with high windows and wooden floors, but it was small and awkward and the termites were relentless. Even constant repairs couldn't keep them at bay. Ms. Smith led a parent movement to claim a nearby brand new building and was able to move her students into a modern space nearby. Might not have the charm of the old building, but it's a lot bigger and a lot healthier place to be. Those of you who have followed post-Katrina New Orleans will know that the district has made a bet on charter schools providing education to New Orleans children. Bethune was one of very few Orleans Parish neighborhood schools for many years, but a couple of years ago, even Bethune became a charter. And I was there the spring when sixth grade boys, faced with going to middle school the next year, formed a prayer circle and begged Ms. Smith to expand the school to seventh grade so that they could stay in the school they loved. She thought hard about it, and she agreed to the great jubilation of her students. Bethune now goes from pre-K to eighth grade. And last year, the state reported that 93% of her eighth graders are on track to graduate from high school in four years, a higher percentage than both the city and the state. Joining Ms. Smith are Assistant Principal Mrs. Amanda Broussard and Assistant Principal Mrs. Crystal LaFrance. I'm so glad you were able to join us. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Can you hear me, Karen? I can. Thank you so much for coming. Oh my God, those that that story just puts chills through me. 
reflecting on what we've been through, where we are now, and you know, just the boys and the prayer group that they had asking because they were afraid of high school and they were like really, we, we were like family, you know. And you know what, Karen? Uh, that was, I'm so glad that we made that move. Even though middle school is challenging, but those kids were babies. And there is, even though you throw them in a high school setting, it's, and, and they're supposed to be middle school, but they were in one building. And our kids were like walked, we walked into the cafeteria, we walked into the bus, we walked into PE, you know, it was just a difference from what it was when I went to visit a high school that housed seventh and eighth graders. And even, even though they were mature, and, but they weren't ready for high school. So I, I was so glad we made that, that decision. Uh, the kids went on, you know, even now we, we stay in touch with them. You know, those who we think need a phone call or encouragement, we do. You know, those who need uniforms, we buy. Uh, you know, those who need somebody to help them with some sort of something in life, we, we provide that because there will always be children. And it's, it, it's tough because we have seventh and eighth grade, that little um, middle school level, where those kids don't know whether or not they want to be grown or babies. It's tough, but we've, I think we saved a lot of them by keeping them in the elementary school. And the story, you know, it was just, it's just amazing. Well, and, and, and one of the things you wrestled with was having older kids with your younger kids, right? You go down to pre-K and, and you were a little, you were reluctant to have eighth graders in the same building as, as little kindergartners, right? But one of the things I remember is that you, you told them, you said, you can stay, I'll do this, but you have to stay children. You can't, be, you can't pretend to be grown up. You have to be children for this school. And that just struck me so um, as so profound that you wanted them to retain the, not, not to be children in the immature sense, but to be children in the uh, sense that they are not thinking that they have to go and prove themselves in any kind of way to younger kids. That's exactly what I said to them in that meeting. And, uh, and the parents were very happy because sometimes they go to high school and parents forget that these are children they're sending to high school, you know? So uh, they have to catch the bus with high school students, staying at the bus stop with high school students, and they weren't ready for it. And so I, I, we did. We, we sat down with them and told them we're going to accept them, but they're going to be, they're our babies. And they're going to be children because they can't make adult decisions. And the decisions we make for them are the ones that we think are the best decisions for them. And we had no problems, not a single one. As a matter of fact, that graduation class, I could bear, I, could, I mean, promotional class, I could barely get through the, the ceremony. I cried so much on stage. I even messed up my little hairdo, you know, but it was just, I really, that was a group. But you know what, Carrie, you know what's a better group? The group we didn't get to promote have a promotional exercise, this group here, who we didn't get to say goodbye to. And it bothers us. We tried all kinds of things to, to bring it to fruition, let them have an ending of the year, let to say goodbye, the hugs, you know. And uh, what we did last year before last were we had some conversations between the kids, like the, the seventh graders, I mean, the eighth graders got together with eighth graders because they were not always liking each other. We put them in the gym. 
and we let we talked about feelings and we talked about friendship and we talked about what high school would be like, you know, and that these are lifelong friends that should keep and 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 all the things we taught them. Everybody cried. The teachers cried. They cried, you know. And I'm telling you, it was just such a beautiful, moving experience. At you know, at the last day of school, when they were gonna meet you here, let me meet you there. That's what eighth graders talk about, right? And so I say, but we don't have that kind of stuff at the school on the last day because we do so much during the school year. I'm telling they hugged so much care, and it's like I said, Lord, thank you, Jesus Christ. It was so beautiful. The ones who didn't like each other liked each other. We didn't get to do that with this group, and I thought it was so meaningful uh, where the teachers expressed themselves and the administration. The, the, the assistant principal, dean of students, everybody expressed the love and how far we want them to go. Those kids didn't get it. And so, um, you know, we did something virtual on the, uh, we had a graduation and we pulled one of Obama's old speeches and told them, uh, don't quit, you know, keep going. We're here for them and, you know, stuff like that. So uh, we're hoping that the message will get there or got there some sort of way. Well, and I know, I know they were there for, many years and the one the one thing they missed is not going to be overshadowed by all the many years they had but it i i can hear the pain in your voice about that so i've begun every one of my interviews asking if the folks i'm talking with are safe and healthy and i'm always thinking about coronavirus but today is monday after a weekend of protests around the country about the murder of george floyd and there's another layer to that question today and on, on top of the p- pandemic, we're now facing, we're once again facing the way racism has played out again and again in our history. This is a really difficult time for all Americans as we confront our history and our present, but African-Americans face even more complex emotions and experiences. How are you doing? How are we doing? Yeah, how are you doing? You know, I have two African-American young men and funny Karen, a week and a half ago, my son told me he was stopped by a police officer, a white police officer, and he couldn't understand why. And he was told that I was on the phone talking to him and he said, hold on, ma. I didn't know. He didn't say it was a cop. Good thing he didn't because I'd have fainted, I think. And so he said, yes, officer. He said, yes. He said, 45. He said, you were doing uh, 40 in the 35. He said, Okay, I said, and so he said that, uh, okay, so he went to the car to, to check the license plate. And then he said that was a police officer. And I said, Jared, don't say nothing. Please don't say anything. Why? He said, he said I was doing 35 and I was doing 40 and the 35. I said, Jared, take the ticket. He said, but my, you can't clock 45. See, they want to stand up for themselves. But in this day and age, I said, just take the ticket. I'll pay for it. Take the ticket. Don't say anything. First of all, he had the business stopping him. He said, because if I would do, you can't even clock five minutes. He said, huh? Everybody know. I said, just be quiet. Take the ticket. And so the guy came back and asked him some questions that he wouldn't have asked someone else. You know, I was shaken by it, but I told him just that whatever they say, just take it and walk away, you know? And I think that that's what most of them are going to do because they see it doesn't get anywhere because you, you know you, you you find yourself in a in a jam. So then the guy said, well, I'm gonna let you go. Cause he didn't have a ticket to give him, you understand? So he didn't have a ticket. So that bothered me, but I am a praying person. I pray for all the little kids who are out on the streets right now who were, 
who they don't have a real summer school to go to. You know, it's virtual. I know they get it's, it's hard to sit in a seat and listen to somebody teach and preach all the time, but it's it's rough. And then it depressed me the whole week because I didn't like the violence. I didn't like the rioting. And then uh, people got on uh, on TV and talked about. Well, they're still fed up. They're fed up, and I understand. But I don't. I don't accept the violence. I don't ex- accept tearing down buildings that uh, we're going to all pay for because insurance is going to go up. And uh, and and like they said, the people in the neighborhood don't have any place to shop. I don't. But I do understand the anger. You know, of when you listen to the people speak, I understand that. I understand the little youngsters running around making making mess. But the news people played on that more than they played on all the good people who are out there uh, demonstrating and, and, and voicing their opinion. So it was a, it was a really rough weekend yeah. uh, through that. But I, I pray that it's that was the weekend and now it's Monday and it'll die down, you know, rest the people who are responsible for it and, and move on. Ms. Broussard has two African-American young men too. One in uh, one, two of them in college. One in Rice. One is at Rice, and one is at LSU. One is a senior. One is moving into a sophomore year, Bruce. She might be on mute. But uh, but we had the conversation. So we all had that kind of conversation about uh, our men. I heard Gil King on TV CBS this morning saying that her son is uh, every time her son goes out to walk a dog, she's worried, you know, because that woman in Central Park. Police officers know if I scream and say it's an African American man, they're coming, and before they ask, they're gonna they're gonna charge you with it, you know. So, well, and I know I know you worry about all your students as well, um, yeah. and that's that's your it's it's all in your um, it's all in your head, and uh, and you've had generations and generations of students go through your school, right? Are are you hearing from any of them? I hear from them, but I don't hear any bad news. They tell you the good news. Yeah, I don't hear, you know, I, I don't think that we've heard of anyone who who were incarcerated or anything or who was stopped or who was beaten. Uh, we had, we had, we did have something. Yeah, we had two kids, I think, that before this, before the, the virus and before the other, yeah, about two kids who had, Gone astray, you know, but you know, we counseled and we kind of like they didn't have that home, you know, that background at home, people to talk to them, people to pray with them. But uh, I can't think of any. Miss LaFrance, can you think of anything lately? Fortunately, to be honest, we, you know, as Miss Smith said, we've had like as we've been hearing from our students, especially our uh, eighth graders, the, for me, I think the, the, the worst thing, um, if I would say that's happened to them that we are aware of is perhaps at this time, you know, um, high school acceptance letters uh, came out through one app. And so there were some of our students, unfortunately, who either did not get a school or did not get their first choice school or even their second choice school. So um, it was disheartening because at a time at this time when so many of them were looking forward to, you know, moving on and trying to get a fresh start from this, it was disappointing to them to 
one, if they didn't get a school, like what does my future look like now? Uh, what, what am I going to do? And secondly, if they did get a school of their choice or didn't get a school of their choice, where are they going to go? What, what next steps could they take to try to resolve that? And so uh, I know while there's nothing that uh, we can do technically on our end because, um, you know, it's all through the one app system, um, we definitely um, are in constant contact with those parents and those students um, because if what we'll do is just check one up ourselves to see if there is an opening. Uh, and we're on the phone with the parent right away saying you need to get there. You know, there's an opening at this school, you know, get down there. Um, so that's kind of one of the things that we've been trying, you know, like while all of this is going on, we're still trying to have a sense of normalcy, even though not knowing what the future holds, you know, if the one thing for them to hold on to is going to high school, moving forward, you know, that's where we want to link them in and really be as much of a support as possible to them. But this is very alarming. I, I thought the whole point of the one app system was that everybody gets a school and you're saying that some kids actually at this point, June, and you start in early August, they don't have a school to go to. That's horrible. How many yeah. students is that true for? So this could be, um, at this point, we've had like 52 eighth graders. So this could be not 52 not having a school. It's, it's a very small number, eight to 10 of them who may not have a school. Um, so they're having to apply through the second round, um, which that's going to be, well, that's already happened. And I believe that those res uh, responses are coming out June <laughs> this month. So it oh. is pretty late for them. Um, but even again, it's no guarantee that they'll get into the school that they chose, you know, which is supposed to be, I guess, also the point that they'd have choice. Well, that sounds horrible. And I'm sorry to hear that. Um, but one of the things, Ms. Smith, you said in your email is that you've made great strides with distance learning since the school buildings closed. And that by fall you should be almost you should almost be great. I and I I thought well, what do you th what are you thinking that great will look like? You know what when you say we're going to be great by then, what does that mean to you? Well, I'm hoping to be great by then, but it's a it's a process that we are learning every day. As a matter of fact. We meet every day and we talk about distance learning. We have lined up like this is a, it's very new to all of us, right? So great would be that the vendors have really set up training on the um, the curriculum that we chose for our kids. That the that the PD goes very well and that everybody will come out of the PD knowing how to do it. What we set up through Miss LaFrance was a vendor to come in and teach teachers. A lot of them got it on their own, you understand? But a lot, I have a lot of matured, and I mean age-wise, <laughs> adults at the school who only, who's not that that familiar with Zoom classrooms and uh, Microsoft, um, uh, wait, Google Classroom and stuff like that, right? So we do, we do dojo where we communicate back and forth. Then uh, they know how to do that, back and forth with teachers through emails 
and you go into class dojo, you talk about the parents, talk to the parents, talk to the kids. But as far as that actual Zoom in classroom, we had, that was a struggle. And uh, they were quick to say, we don't, I, I don't know how to do it, but I'm doing, I'm doing dojo. I'm, I'm talking to my kids. No, what you're doing is giving assignments. They need that interaction, you know? So, so after a week of fussing, in two weeks of demanding and trial and error, I think that by the fourth week, which is never too late, the fourth week, everybody was Zooming. So now that part is, is not the best, right? But we know that it's a big step from where we started, right? So now with the vendors that's, that's going to start, I think, the, I think the training will start sometimes this week or next week, I know we have a meeting. We go to the school on Tuesdays, the administrative staff, so we can talk to each other. And that's one of our topics, to go in there and talk about how we're going to, um, well, once they learn how to get on Microsoft Classroom, not Microsoft, or Google Classroom, they will understand how to make the lessons more amenable. amenable. So, uh, like some of the teachers actually took their belongings and went back to school and taught from the classroom because it was more of a classroom setting and all of their resources were, were, were there because we were told that Friday, school, hey, school's going to close at 12 o'clock today. And we sent out robocalls and parents came to pick up their kids, right? It reminded me so much of Hurricane Katrina that we were gone and we left everything. So, so we went back into the building uh, once the custodial, the custodial staff um, cleaned it out. We cleaned it ourselves when we go in. We go in with gloves and we go in with, with masks and disinfectant. And we, we sit down and we talk. Some of the teachers go back in and, and they teach. Now now we have teachers teaching teachers. And we have the, the, the matured group uh, learning and are, are pleased with it, right? So now, now, what do I call great is when, if you have 25 kids in your classroom, you have 25 kids participating. Now they may not, it's difficult to participate all at one time, 25 kids, because you'll never know who is who, because you can't see, we haven't gotten to the part of getting 25 kids on the, on the screen yet, but we're going to split it in half, where we would have 12 and 12, you know, 13 and 13, uh, so that we'll have a balance and they could reach more kids. What I call greatest when parents are sitting there with their kids or someone watching, or uh, especially in elementary schools, you know, that someone will know that their child is sitting there. What I call greatest that kids are eager to get on because they're saying teacher, this is fun. And teachers found different ways of, uh, of teaching. Uh, like uh, they had uh, fun Fridays, which was Jeopardy. But it was all the lessons in social studies, you know, and it was family fueled with all the answers there. So there's a different way. Teachers are finding a different way of getting the lessons over to the to the children. I call that great when the attendance is, the attendance is high, and at the end, kids can say, "I got it," you know. And we got a lot of we got a lot of um, of uh, feedback from parents saying thanks, and that it was, we have summer school going on right now, and that it was wonderful, you know. And that uh, you know, like the kids, it, like the kids enjoyed it, and in comments, but we have a, we have we have a lot. We have some teachers who are not where we want them to be, and uh, and it's just hard right now, Karen, trying to find the teachers. And with the pandemic, a lot of people are not going to want to be teachers if they don't find a safe way to bring us back into the building. 
you know? Well, that's what I was just thinking. So, so you're, the way you're talking, it sounds as if you're not expecting to come back in the building in the fall. I don't think so. I don't think so because, um, well, I wish we would. It's easier. Karen, this is so hard. This is so much of a harder task to perform and do uh, because even with my administrative team, we talk every day. And so this weekend, we didn't talk at all. You know, I think Ms. LaFrance and Ms. Bruce sent me a couple of emails and that was it. But it's, it's so, it's hard to communicate via computer. You know, uh, I can't see what you're writing. You know, everything takes a little more time. So I'm thinking that, no, we're not going to be ready to go back in the fall. Uh, first of all, we, if we are, we got a whole lot of planning to do because they say it no more than uh, six feet apart. So we have to do a schedule. Uh, if we are six feet apart, you can't have 26 kids in a classroom. We have to find a way to keep the pre-K students in there without running to each other, hugging each other. You know, we, like those, those are things that we're trying to develop. What about the bus? We have eight buses of students, eight. And they want to come to Bethune because it's a good school. It's a nice place and a safe place. But you can't put them on the bus and be six feet apart. So we have that to contend with. Uh, one good thing we've done, we are set up for uh, virtual learning. We have ordered a computer for each child to, to use at home. Now, we used to have computers in the classroom for each child, but we know when we let those kids, those computers go home, they don't come back. And when we return to the school, you're going to need computers. So we're giving them a computer to use at home. And we're going to have one in school. So even when we return, that computer is going to stay home. Because you know why? This is this is a lesson that when a child has the cold or a flu or whatever, he, he's sick or his mom is sick and he can't get to school, he can still have school if he has that device. And so that's that's good. The state gave us some money. Some money for that, and and uh, we're going to. But Walton, you know, the Walton Foundation uh, gave us money last year. We bought computers for the classroom, and so now we're going to use that to buy computers in hotspots. That's the, that's a disadvantage. Uh, our kids don't have that kind of um, life. Where now there may be one computer in the class in the in the house, but not per per family. Um, they even the ones who who are fortunate enough to have a computer, you got three and four brothers and sisters and all of y'all trying to do that lesson. So that wasn't going to work. So there are a lot of things we're going to iron out. We are planning to open up. We're planning for two. We have a schedule for in school and we're working on a schedule for out of school. But we're planning more of the out of school because it's always going to be some kind of mechanism our teachers can can use. For the kids who stay, who the kid who stays home, that's going to be a, wonderful device so that he won't miss his lesson. And no matter where he is, by grandma, whomever it is taking care of him, he'll get that lesson. And then we're making plans to return. And and I kind of want to speak to some of the things you spoke about, Ms. Smith, um, as far as with our plan. The state also has devised a strong start plan for the 2020-21 school year. And as we look at those four key priorities that they've identified, we are seeing that many of the things that we're putting in place or have put in, are put in place during the distance learning are those same aspects. Those four priorities that they're speaking about are the core academics, um, students with diverse need, the workforce talent, 
in the school system. So with the core academics, we're really looking at our programs. And fortunately, we have all of our resources are considered tier one resources. And the vendors have been very gracious in providing us with um, remote access to review and utilize during this time. And so we're working, as Mrs. Smith stated, we're looking at our plan being virtual and traditional. So this summer, we're going to have teachers um, have, they're gonna have PD on the virtual aspects of our programs. So that's really been working out really well. Our students with diverse needs, those learning gaps, we, there are things in place uh, with the vendors of these programs, as well as with the state to address those learning gaps. We're starting off on looking at our data, making sure that that, that data is utilized in the most effective way so that when we start the new year, we can't go back. But what we're going to do is look at those standards and those skills that they missed in their previous grade and just align it to their, the grade that they will be in, uh, you know, in this coming year. And so we're really having a lot of professional development and time to really dig in deep, to really think about our process and procedures and the and really look at it in a way, in a light so that we're keeping it simple and being as effective as we can be. Because one of the things we also learned with that virtual learning, as was Mrs. Smith and I think Ms. LaFrance uh, leaned to, it's hard to sit in front of a computer for two and three hours. So when we do have them, we need to make sure that the instruction in the lesson is effective. And it's on point and it's focused. So we're really, you know, we're really having those um, able to reflect and look at those things given this format that the state has provided for us. The workforce talent, making sure that our teachers, we do have teachers who are mature, myself included. So knowing these virtual platforms and really getting an opportunity to look at it in a way and how we can utilize it to be effective in our instruction, in our delivery, and making sure that our students remain on task, I mean, remain progressing, continue to progress toward their, you know, grade level goals. Um, and I want to speak about that, the school system with that computer one-to-one. -one. You know, we talk about this being a very hor uh, horrific time, unprecedented time, but I think it really brought into light some of the disparities that we have. Our children, you know, we are in the 21st century and our children, many of our children still don't have access to the internet, to, you know, computers. So this money that they're going to be putting in will allow us to be able to provide that one-to-one -one, uh, internet Chromebooks and provide those hotspots so that those disparities where kids did not have access to the internet, that, you know, will be something that they will have to address 
because there will be, or there might be a time during the school year, we will have to go virtual and our kids will need to be educated, still, you know, get their instruction. So I'm really, I'm thinking this um, as we going forward and as we look at our procedures and our process and we begin to streamline, we can become effective in dealing with uh, the situation that we find ourselves in, having that resiliency. And I think that's, we spoke, when Ms. Smith spoke about the eighth grade graduation, that's one thing we spoke about to our kids, resilience. You know, having that ability to adapt regardless of the situation we might find ourselves in. So, Karen, you know, you said that, um, well, I, you, you're speaking as if school is going to be virtual during the school year, coming up the school year, coming up this coming up school year. And the more we look into it, the more I think, yes. But even if so, at one point, we're saying yes. The next point, we hear that schools can open in August, and then we'll close again for the pandemic, the second round of it. And to me, I don't know how much sense that makes. I would like to see teachers meet their kids, but I can't see I'm a teacher this way and then, then a month later because flu season starts early, you know, but you don't know when it's going to hit. So why don't why I... I would prefer just to let school stay closed until there's a vaccine because we don't know what's going to trigger a child coming to school with the cold. He may not get a cold. He may get a, he or she may get a cold in September. You know, you don't know. And it's like, let me tell you what happened. What was frightening to us that the first case in Louisiana, uh, they sent them to the veterans hospital, right? That was Friday. That Tuesday, the mama sent a note saying that her husband was the, the guy who cleaned the room of the lady, and she came in contact with that woman. And then she sent those two kids to class, to school, and it was supposed to all be quarantined because she wanted them in school. You see, parents going to want them in school not knowing the consequence. So I'm, I'm thinking that, well, if they open school, I'm getting me a suit, a shield, a glove some gloves and a, a box of out. They got my 50 mask. But I'm telling you, I'm gonna be ready for it. But I just think that it's, I just hope that the, the, uh, the, the researchers and the scientists come up with something so that we can open school. But I think to open it and then close it again a month later and then to open it again, that's, I, I, I just see that's too much disturbances. What we have to do is perfect the visual learning. I mean, the, the, virtual, the virtual learning, we have to perfect that. We, like we started, like I said earlier, and Bruce started mentioning again, that we do have the one-on-one. -on -one. The teachers are getting the training. You know, we just need to make sure the parents make sure the kids are participating in it and that it's not a joke. This year, we did it during the summer. We did it back in May. We had, um, we had uh, 300 and some kids to participate. I think 340, something like that to participate out of almost 700 kids. And so, which was 350, which was good, but we would have had all of them had we been in school, right? But we have to find a way to let parents know. And I think the community, we're thrown, we're thrust out there. So we just jumped and ran, right? 
We did packets in the beginning. We sent the packets because we were told that it was going to be off four weeks, you know. So four weeks we'll be back after Easter, but then it didn't happen, right? So we weren't prepared. But I think that this time, when we do it, if we do it, we're going to have to send a lot of communications with parents, letting them know that this counts. You understand your child can fail the grade if he misses so-and-so. We're going to follow the pupil, the pupil progression plan about attendance and participation in, in the lesson. So we just need to send. We got the kids who were there, the parents who were there, all interested and happy with that. We just need the parents of the other students who needed to be in there to know that this is this is serious. This is it. And there will be a, 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 a new way of life when it comes to education, you know? Well, and I think that that seems to be, you know, we're, we're all going to have to grapple with that, with the questions you're grappling with. And of course, New Orleans has been a real hotspot, which is an, a part of the background of what you're talking about. Um, New Orleans has been hit very hard. And I, 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 I struggle with this idea of, oh, well, we'll open up until the second wave hits. Well, where is it going to hit? It's going to hit exactly what, what was opened up. And, and um, so I, I really appreciate that. So I'm going to introduce um, my colleague, Tanji Reed Marshall. Uh, Tanji is a longtime teacher and Ed Trust Director of Practice. Tanji, um, I'm, I'm curious what you think about what Mary uh, Haynes-Smith says about uh, about possibly reopening in the fall. I mean, she's she's maybe the clearest of all of the people we've talked to that this is really problematic. Right, right. So one, so excited to be talking to Mary Hayne Smith along with um, Ms. LaFrance and Ms. Broussard. Thank you for this chance. New, New Orleans is one of our favorite places to be. And so um, this is a real treat for me. When I think about what, they shared and the reality, that's what I was struck by, right? So we know what was sent down in terms of the four areas um, that they're getting their sort of strong start plans, those four key areas, but then the reality of implementing those four, those four aspects. How do we get kids to school to do that? Right? How do we actually walk through the logistics of the movement of bodies from point A to point B. And she was very clear about, you know, what does that mean? You know, we've got eight buses. People want to come to our school for these reasons. Well, how are we going to get them there? Right. And then this notion of what might even, what might feel like a revolving door of educational practice can be very disruptive, as she said, right? Like kids, okay, I'm going to be at school. I get that rhythm. I get that process. And then now we're going to stop it. Then I get home and I get that rhythm and I get that process. Now you're going to go back. And so how do we help students navigate this kind of in the building, out of the building, in the building, out of the building process? Um, and then, you know, with a school that has such a strong culture, how do you maintain that culture in this kind of revolving door aspect in learning? I think are some of the questions that that um, educators, building leaders have to begin to ask themselves. How do we maintain the positive culture we need to, right? So what are the best pieces of the culture we're seeing now? 
how does it carry forward, um, which I found was, you know, really, really fascinating to think about. Well, and, and I have to say, just having been at Bethune a lot, it's a hugging culture, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's, there's, there's a lot of hugs there. Um, there's a lot of love there. There's a lot of, um, you know, a hug here. You don't act like that here, honey. You know, right. I, there's just, um, I, it's hard to imagine replicating that visually. Um, and so, but, but maybe we should ask Ms. Haynes Smith and uh, Ms. LaFrance and Ms. Broussard about that. How, how are you thinking? How do you do that? Now that we've raised the question, maybe you can answer it. There was, um, we had, we had a conversation with a group of teachers and one of the teachers, it was like a morning period because as we look at the future and the, our protocols and the way we need to um, uh, socialize with each other in order to stay safe, um, there were a lot of, how are we going to do that? How, in, how will I not be able to go to Karen and say, Hey, come on, you got this, and you know, and give him a hug or touch his hand or touch his shoulder, you know. So, as you all stated, most of our culture is built on that personal relationship where we are able to connect with our kids, our children, and they know that we truly love them and care because not only uh, the academic piece that we give them, but the social piece that we provide for them, that safe, caring environment where there's, they feel loved and safe. Karen, I was, um, I went to a kindergartners had a, a, a graduation ceremony. We had a drive-by, right? Uh, through the bus ramp. I wish I could put my camera on because I'm expressing with my hands and stuff. And so um, so I had a shield because one of my teachers bought me the, the face shield and my gloves and my and my um, my mask. And so I'm walking up and a little boy ran up to me, Miss Smith, and, and somebody said, no. See, it's just something that we're going to have to retrain the kids. And guess what? I think that the parents, the more the parents hear, they're going to have to retrain. But, you know, I don't want to lose that sense of that, that warmth that we have in the building, right? I don't want to stay away too long because we don't have discipline problems. And when I was at the first conference and the lady asked, how do you handle the fights? And we said, what fights? We don't, we don't have that. Because it's that respect for each other. It's that I love you, you love me, and we know it. We're not just saying it, right? So being distanced, that's, you know, so so that's why we jump on the um, the, uh, the the um, the classrooms, the Google Classroom, and say, hey, how you doing, John? How you doing this? And they'll know that we're still here. So that's important that we have to keep that there so when they come back into the building, they know that we respect, we don't curse, we don't fight, we don't call each other's name. And that's something that, that's been, you know, so I'm hoping that good thing we're not moving into a brand new city with a whole bunch of new kids because that's the biggest thing, getting them to respect each other, building that, that culture of warmth, caring, you know. And then that, look, let me tell you, this is the truth. When, uh, when you go into 
like when we have a, a we, we go into a classroom. I'm use Miss Rochelle. You walk into Miss Rochelle's classroom. She's about the best teacher on earth I've have ever seen. Right? I I I will attest to that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> And so, you know, she got, uh, she went all the way up to the state semifinalists. And that's unusual for New Orleans because they don't particularly pick us, right? But. You mean as a teacher of the year? Teacher of the year, yes. Yeah. She, she won the city. She won the state. No, she won the city. She was a semifinalist for the state. She won the Saints first teacher of the year. And she won our teacher of the year, the district. I mean, like all, all in one year. She was just fantastic. And when you think of picking another teacher of the year, I'm looking, some, I'm looking for somebody. I don't want to look for less. I want somebody like that, you know. But anyway, so you walk into her classroom, and she has 26, 27 kids. And they all are working and talking and conversing. You don't find that silly passing notes and stuff. And... That same class will walk into the math classroom, and it's not the same. And you know why? Because I told the teachers, those are the same kids. If I walk into the classroom, they're going to say, there's Miss Smith. It's that respect you're going to get. They're going to respect her because those kids know she cares about them and their being and, and, getting, and getting the lessons. And they will say it wherever, wherever they go. When, like when in ninth grade or tenth grade, they said, "Who should teach it?" Said Miss Rochelle, Miss Rochelle, because she, the same smart kids, same smart kids, will go somewhere else and not feel the same way. It's what you build into that classroom, that respect you build, and then those kids don't want to disappoint. They're gonna do their homework, their book reports. You take them on a the higher level, and you go to another. Why you didn't do your work? Oh, I don't know. She may not check it. You know, something like that. So all of that is. I think building that. That culture, it plays a big, yeah, a big role. So I, I just want to explain something that you said early on there. Um, you said when you came to the conference, what you were referring to, um, I think, is the Ed Trust Conference because the uh, Ed Trust gave uh, Bethune its Dispelling the Myth Award, and you right. came to the conference, and you and your team just wowed the whole conference. Um, with with your passion and your knowledge and your your expertise <laughs> um i'm afraid we should wrap this up i could you know i could talk with you guys forever but um but i think we we're gonna wrap this episode of the education trust podcast extraordinary districts in extraordinary times every time i visited mary mcleod bethune elementary i have taken heart that ms smith is involved in the process of educating children I've long thought it appropriate that she heads a school named for perhaps the most famous of all the great African-American educators in our history, Mary McLeod Bethune. It gives me hope for the field of education and for our nation. In all, we've had more than 7,000 downloads of the Extraordinary Districts of Extra in Extraordinary Times podcast, so I'm hoping others find these conversations helpful as well. If you think this is a valuable podcast, I hope you'll re recommend it to your friends and networks. Please leave a review wherever you get this podcast. That will help steer people in our direction. If you want to be in touch, you can email extraordinarydistricts at edtrust.org or tweet at edtrust or me at Karen Chenoweth or Tangi at remarsh76. 
Mike Patillo records and edits this podcast through the magic of Zoom from Tonal Park. I want to thank everyone at EdTrust who supports this podcast and thank you to the Wallace Foundation for providing financial support. Thanks and see you next time.